Hello and welcome to another Is That What I Call Music, the podcast about the Now That's What I Call Music album series. Yep. We're Davids and today we will be talking about Now 39 from 1998. I think it's one that we both have very fond feelings about. Yeah, it was uh, the last Now I bought at its time of release. Mm, I think it may have been for me as well. I don't remember having later ones, to be honest. And also it was... At the time of release, it's the only one I ever bought on CD. I've bought the odd one since. <laughs> okay. I think it coincided with also getting a hi-fi uh, as for a birthday present where I could play <laughs> CDs. So this got a lot of play. Yeah, I remember uh, listening to it a lot while playing Carmageddon, weirdly enough, <laughs> which given some of the songs on there is a very strange combination. Yeah, but... uh, very strange. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's one we're both generally fond of, which mm-hmm. I think we'll show yeah, uh, when think, we talk about it. I think it. it will be justified as well, yeah. having looked at the track listing. And there's some good talking points on there as well. Yeah. I would so, say. Uh, shall we get into it? Yep. Robbie Williams, Texas Space, Orsay's Bolton, Nia Twain, Prince, Buster, Billy Myers, Catatonia, Apple, Walter, Warren G, Spice Girl, Steps from BMC, Janet Jackson, Ultron, Latte, DJ, Quicksilver, is that what I call music? Let's find out. Okay then, so the first track on Now 39 is uh, by All Saints. It got to number one of charts and it's never ever. Conversations, hesitations in my mind. You got my conscience asking questions that I can't find. I'm not crazy. I'm sure I ain't done nothing wrong. And now I'm just waiting. Cause I heard that this feeling won't last that long. This was a pretty massive song. I mean, ultimately, it's, you know, the first song on a now, it's usually going to be a pretty big... Yeah, yeah, very uh, often open with a big hitter. And I remember hearing this an awful lot yeah. when it came out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, of all the girl bands around then, All Saints were the one who I liked more of their songs than I didn't Yeah, generally, they seemed... Give or take their cover of Under the Bridge. <laughs> well, but, we'll um... put, leave that aside for now, <laughs> but uh, for convenience. What's, what I find interesting is that it didn't get to number one until seven weeks, I believe, on the chart, yeah, which for then is burn. quite unlikely because I think increasingly songs would generally peak in the week of release. My main memory is just uh, my dad hating the talking bit whenever it came on the radio. But no, I did like it. I never, like I said, I never like bought the album or anything, but I remember quite enjoying it, you know? Well, I mean, especially if you compare, because we've got Spice Girls coming up in a few songs who mm. were probably their biggest competitor of the time in terms of big girl bands. Yeah, yeah. And like, I, I don't dislike Spice Girl songs, but they are much more aimed at the sort of under 12s market. Yeah. Whereas this is a bit more sort of grown up, soulful. Pop. Yeah, and you know, certainly when I was younger, of the stuff on the radio that meant it appealed to me more. And listening back to it now, I think it still works. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't sound like half as dated as uh, when we'll get onto the Spice Girls. We'll give <laughs> stuff a listen and see how yeah, that yeah, one holds yeah. up. But yeah, like it's it works even now. I think, and it's the second biggest selling uh, single by a girl group in the UK after wow. aforementioned Spice Girls. Wow, it won British Single of the Year and British Video of the Year. For 1998 Brit Award, uh, so you know, it yeah, was I, I recognised at the time, and I think wow. it has sort of gone down as a, a classic of 90s girl band pop. 
also in general, it's weird that I, like, I don't know, although I don't know if I listen to the relevant radio stations that would be likely to play uh, All Saints songs. No. Um, but it seems like they kind of, the they petered out a bit. And as far as there was a, a couple of, was it a couple of reunion attempts, I believe, oh, one of which yeah. went quite badly. Yeah, there was um, one reunion attempt when that album didn't even make the top 40 or yeah. something, despite the big push. And that's... But then they, like, the reason they didn't have the staying power of even the Spice Girls, I found, I was looking up something about the All Saints and uh, plenty of tensions within the band. But Chazanay Lewis um, explained that the catalyst for the band breaking up later was a disagreement over who would wear a certain jacket for a photo shoot. (laughs) I would never in a million years have put money on the group ending over a jacket incident. I like the fact that a jacket incident is a thing. Like, it wasn't the only one. In in an odd way, though, it's something that somehow seems fitting when one of the things I remember about the band at the time was how much attention there was on them, say, wearing combats and yeah, being... Yeah, well, that's another thing, isn't it? ...fashionable like, in that particular way. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe it's appropriate, but it, she says that it wasn't the jacket itself, it was just like the trigger for all the tensions that had been there. So I guess it's not so much they fade out, but they burned out quite spectacularly mm. and they haven't had the same impact. I guess maybe, I don't know whether this sold as much in America. I think maybe the Spice Girls long longevity in the cultural memory Quite has to do with them being possibly, big over yeah. there as well as over here. I mean, All Saints, although another comparison, of course, is that in a much less successful way, not that the Spice Girls one is particularly successful, but they've both uh, had awful films. <laughs> um, <laughs> like the uh, All Saints one is a probably much less known Honest Okay, uh, which yeah, has entirely uh, isn't in it probably a good move but uh, it's this i think i believe 60s set kind of heist film directed by dave stewart when was this when this must uh, have been after i think this may have been early 2000s okay um but um because as a side note quite into bad films and a friend and i in particular kind of do a lot of research into these kinds of things and one of the ones we came across was this film which the two of us uh decided to watch i just remember from about 10 15 minutes looking up how long the film is and how much more there was to sit through it's pretty bad but because <laughs> even though the spice girl was one's awful it's there's a certain weird enjoyment out of it it for all its terribleness balls to the wall yeah <laughs> if i remember rightly it sort of never relents mm. what's happening isn't good and you can <laughs> yeah. never get bored and you know just occasional things like meatloaf cropping up as their uh, tour bus driver yeah, well, that's what i mean there's always something to distract you whether it's another dumb cameo or crappy dialogue or whatever but i haven't seen the all saints film but by the sounds of it it's less got less going it, on it takes itself way more seriously i think that's well, the problem musically that's similar which yeah well. it probably stands to reason but so maybe there's an argument for when we get to stop we should uh, sort of ignore the fact that this one is a bit more grown up and try mm. and sort of judge it on its own basis <laughs> but i still do enjoy this song you know if it comes on I, I i like this i like black coffee i like pure shores mm. there's quite a lot of all sane stuff that i do really enjoy and uh, this is one of them and really it does suit well as an opening of a now with the mm. Opening Definitely. it has, I think. Yeah. Anyway, I think broadly a thumbs up. Yeah. Um, but for now, shall we move on? We should, I think. It's going to be a song by the Lighthouse family, in particular, yep. a song called Hi.
I feel kind of mean, David. Yeah. Because on one hand, Lighthouse Family's music is nice and it's uplifting. Mm. And uh, Tunde <laughs> Bayeu, we're going to guess that? We'll guess. Um, yeah. Has a very lovely voice. But on yeah. the other hand, it's boring as sin. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and it's that thing of, it's that weird thing that I, I dislike them fairly intently, I'd mm. say. But okay. without any arguably justifiable reasons beyond a certain sense of, I just find them very bland. One of the things I've come to associate them with is that a while back in the charity shop I worked in at the time, someone came in and bought, we had like what, a Lighthouse Family CD. And uh, he then said the reason he was buying it was that he was attempting to uh, destroy all the Lighthouse Family CDs he could find. <laughs> Uh, that seems a little extreme and it seems a little you know you think that i don't think he's aware of spotify and uh, (laughs) i don't think he's going to quite succeed well you um, know some people decide to make an hour that's what i call music podcast some people decide to destroy the lighthouse (laughs) we we, all need a hobby we took the former decision but that's not too uh, yeah but um Unless it's simply a cathartic uh, <laughs> exactly. means of he getting over his trauma. He doesn't expect to ever do it. It's just a case of spending some time doing something he enjoys. <laughs> and that's destroying easy <laughs> listening music. Um, but yeah, I found myself oddly uh, empathising, uh, <laughs> which I think sums up my feeling of The Lighthouse okay. Family. Well, because this is what I mean, though. Like, it's... I, I feel less strongly about it than you, I think. But at the same time, like I was saying before this came on, the only Lighthouse family song I can ever remember is Lifted. Mm. And they all sound kind of the same. And they're all about, you know, Rise, Lifted. Yeah. They're it's... all kind of <laughs> vaguely heavenly. Yeah, it's like, there's, it's a sort of very, very one note band. So if I ever wanted a Lighthouse family thing, I, it doesn't really matter which one I pick. But I'd probably <laughs> they all go serve for the lifted. exact same purpose. Exactly. So it's hard to. And I guess if you really like his voice or you just want something to put on the background which won't sort of aggravate any anxiety mm. that you have, then it's probably a good go. <laughs> but... And to me, it kind of sums up that, obviously, subjectively, but I find them quite bland. And reading into their uh, backstory, <laughs> it's really uneventful. Yeah. And in a way that, not that you wish them to have some sort of no, hardship, yeah. but... It all, see, all it is is essentially them just going to uni, meeting the other one, and then doing the band. There's <laughs> little other... It's uh... interesting to think about this, given that like the, the next person, which we'll move on to soon, that we're going to talk about is Janet Jackson. Yeah. And obviously... Very She's had a very in, uh... eventful life in yeah. many ways, and there's a whole amount of stuff you can say there. But how much of that is that the guys from the Lighthouse family are just very private people, so they don't... It's quite possible. Uh, like, we don't know. Publicise their various relationships or whatever mm. and whereas Janet Jackson even if she wanted to be a private person was never going to be able to just by virtue of the family <laughs> Jackson, before yeah. even you get to her so own again, career it might just be a reflection of the fact that Lighthouse family are very down to earth nice people who like unlike well, let's not compare them to Janet Jackson let's say Simply Red thing me about <laughs> whose name I can never where remember where Mick Hucknall is a dislikable yeah. person which helps you don't <laughs> exactly. you feel like more justified, justified in disliking in the band whereas as you were hinting at I almost feel bad for disliking <laughs> them as much as I do because they have done no like 
as far as I'm aware, they could well be nice. I've not heard of any bad things <laughs> yeah. they've done. It's just the sheer blandness of mm, them. They're sort of almost offensively inoffensive. Yeah. But I'm still just on the side of like, I, this is pleasant to listen to. It's just that I couldn't listen to an entire album of it because mm. going by their singles, at least, it feels like it's probably all the same. I've not delved into their deeper cuts. When, he, when you said offensively inoffensive, my immediate thought was it's like they're the test daily of music. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow on that note of cruelty <laughs> shall we move on to another yeah, song yeah. um it's uh, we've already mentioned anyway it's by janet jackson uh but this one in particular got to number four on the charts and it's together again So that was Janet Jackson. As we mentioned, she's a massive superstar. But despite that, I'm almost entirely ignorant of her work (laughs) and her life. Did you have anything in particular? I mean, Um, what's your relationship to this Jackson? No, but I think similarly, I've never known too much about it, but... I find this song itself quite interesting. Yeah, it's an odd one. So when we were looking into this and we were looking at the chord structure, things Mm. like that, and what I'd never realised, although I'm quite familiar with the song, I didn't realise the extent of... uh, It's musicality. Musicality, yeah, because it's so buried under the dance (laughs) beat in production. But (laughs) it's actually, if, say, just look up the chords and just play them on a guitar, it's weirdly satisfying progression. But this is the thing as well, because it was written as a ballad and then it was redone as this dance tune which was just the thing at the time you know it had to be a thumping dance beat underneath it if Mm. it was going to be cool and relevant and it's the same kind of thing that we heard on now 44 with when the heartache is over yeah Turner, where it's like it's actually a very moving heartfelt song but it's just entirely obscured behind the production like this one for example together again uh is uh, a song inspired by losing a friend to AIDS, as well as a piece of fan mail she received from a young boy in England who had lost his father to the disease. So it's like, it's a really heavy, heartfelt idea. But the thing of how seemingly she made the lyrics less and less specific to Mm, that, although it was inspired by that, you wouldn't really know without having read into it. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see a proper behind-the-scenes making of, to see the various iterations and yeah, the gone feedback. Through a lot I'm guessing of... from either producers or the record label or whatever in terms of, you know, we got to make sure this isn't going to leave people too bummed mm. out, Janet. <laughs> we got to make sure it's got a beat and people can dance to it and they feel good. So make it like a love song. And eh. So there's a part of me that quite likes the fact that the song did well. But it's the mm, same. Very well. Yeah. Like, six million copies worldwide. It's one of the biggest selling songs of all time. Like it. Yeah. Like we said, we only got to number four in the UK, but in America, it's and massive broader, in the US. Yeah. Huge hits. I, th- I think that's on a side note. That's possibly partly why. Like, I almost wonder if it's a standard UK thing because of how much more successful I th- believe she's generally was in the US mm. than here. I mean, obviously she had charting hits here. Yeah, I don't think it was ever to that massive level. Like, I said, this got to number four and I remember it being played a lot of the time on the radio and so on. But I don't know how, thinking about it, I don't know how many of her songs generally were that massive here. Like, I'm pretty sure she never had a number one, say. 
And it may well be that quite a few made the top 10, but... I don't know if we just have a sort of quick yeah. look at... Okay, so here we've got her discography. So she has had quite... A... She's had a lot of top 10 hits, especially in the early to mid-90s, including this one. Yeah. But she's never had a number one over here, which I guess by her standards is maybe a little disappointing, considering she's had about eight of them in the US, nine, mm. including this one, <laughs> and 10, 11, including later stuff. Yeah, she, she, she was definitely bigger in the US than the UK, but she wasn't like like easy to dismiss over here either. There's probably a separate interesting podcast to be done about the career of Anna <laughs> yeah. and this album, this single, but... Sadly, we are not for people to do it. And we haven't even mentioned the Super Bowl. Uh... But I think we're probably a bit more familiar with the next artists. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's move on to Spice Girls with their number two hit, Stop. So let us start with um, Wikipedia's description of the song, where it says, Lyrically, the song calls for a slowing down on the courtship process. I assume it means of, but it's Wikipedia, so we'll go with on. And it is particularly addressed to appeal to the young female audience, as the female-to-female bonds are not threatened. I think, in a strange way, despite that being a very literal and basic description, it does strike to the heart of something we were saying um, when we were talking about All Saints is uh, mm. the, the young female audience. Yeah. And that this is pop music for children. But mm. I think it's very good at that. Yeah, I mean, it's instantly memorable, isn't mm. it? It's very it's, catchy. But it does, because we were talking about, it's odd that having heard this song so many times in my life or whatever, I didn't really pick up on things like the brass and the guitars until no. sort of properly, intently listening to it for this. Because it's sort of lost between the glossy sheen of the production. Yeah. It uses some interesting sort of musical influences and like it is very catchy. It's an mm. instantly memorable and sing-along chorus yeah yeah and so on a certain level i think this is a very good song i just don't really enjoy it you know, <laughs> because it's kind of grindingly irritating in yeah, some it's ways it's the same here you do i find it hard to have any particular issue against the song it's no. not one i choose to listen to but at the same I'd time say it's one where perhaps because of the fact that it does have those kind of soul motown kind of influences where you are quite aware of their limited singing abilities yeah like wannabe is one where like because it's sort of shout singing a lot of the time anyway where they get away with it more yeah and same with quite a few other other songs but this one you you do have to wonder how good it would be if it was in a different producer's hands with different singers it if might it, actually be a yeah, genuinely if ac- great if it actually song, was like a martha and the vandellas song <laughs> yeah. in the six <laughs> it might be really, really good. Because, like um, you say, the Motown elements make you think of the certain classic ones, and it, it, it like you say, it can serve to highlight the uh, the vocals that aren't quite up there in the quality. <laughs> it's fine. Then, uh, that's judging it in on almost an unfair level, like as if this was meant to be a musical masterpiece well, rather than uh, a fun piece of pop music for kids. Which is, it does everything that it really attempts to do, and does it very, very well. We've spoken before in the pilot episode about sort of their subsequent solo careers yeah. and how none of them really had a lot of longevity and that's because it was sold on the brand of the Spice Girls, these different personalities mm. these, the, the, that kind of lyrical theme 
the song as a sort of upbeat positivity yeah. girl power. Yeah. And it was never to do with the music, really. <laughs> it was. It's what they represented. Yeah. I mean, it had to have the music work to some extent. It had to be catchy tunes that people would remember and sing along to. But the, it, that was just part of the mix. It's part of the brand. Yeah. Yeah. Brand it wasn't entire... spice. On that level, it's a great song. But again, if you ask me whether I want to listen to this or Never Ever, I'm going to go for a Never Ever just because that appeals to my uh, tastes more. Yeah, likewise. But yeah, it would feel very hard to dismiss this song and you couldn't possibly dismiss the band, obviously, just because they were such a cultural phenomenon. And I mean, we ended up spending half the time we were talking about All Saints talking about the Spice Girls. <laughs> a couple of little interesting points to note we haven't mentioned yet of how this was Jerry's last single mm. with the band. She was like the main writer of it as well, I think. Okay. Yeah, she came up with the first lines of a song and recorded them into a dictaphone and she said that she wanted something of a Motown feel so she was kind of a creative driving force even if uh, who was it Paul Wilson and Andy Watkins were also mm. involved in writing and producing it and, and it Mel was... C added something in the chorus and it was their first single not to get to number one yeah um, it had a run of six uh, number ones in a row but it was It's Like That by Run DMC versus Jason Nevins which prevented them from mm. dominating the chart again on this occasion and we'll get to that song uh, yes on CD2 of now 39 but uh, for now at least I guess we should probably give a qualified thumbs up to this yeah, song by the know. Spice Girls it's definitely of the Spice Girls songs so it's definitely ones I like least <laughs> least <Yeah>. less less <laughs> I was thinking in particular of Mama when I said that so that's why I went least oh, God, yeah. <laughs> but uh, at the same time it's not my favourite Spice Girls song either but it is very good at what it's it is it's fine you know um, and yeah let's move on then to our first cover I think yeah we haven't yes, had a cover so yes. far but thankfully Natalie Imbruglia is coming along with her version of Torn well you couldn't be that man I adore you don't seem to know you seem to care what your heart is for well, I don't know him anymore there's nothing where he used to lie the conversation has one I do love that it's song. It's a great song, isn't Everyone it? Everyone seems to, though, because it's sold more than 4 million copies worldwide. It's the 85th biggest single of all time in the UK. Uh, it was number one best pop song in Q's 1001 Best Songs Ever issue. Billboard ranked it the 26th best pop song based on radio charts between 1992 and 2012. Uh, number 383 on Blender's 500 Greatest Songs Since You Were Born, which seems a bit presumptuous. <laughs> uh, but either way, you know what I mean? It's it's one of those songs which, despite being a cover version by a soap star, regularly features yeah. high up in those like, lists. It, it's not the uh, ingredients that you typically associate no, yeah. for a song with that much high regard. I guess, you know, there are plenty of examples Kylie looming large of pop stars well, who really do have some really iconic hits but yeah like Natalie Imbruglia though is almost exclusively remembered for, for this, this I mean she now, had other hits but nowhere near to the no. level of this it, it, it's interesting I guess then to work out why it is that this one has chimed so much with the popular consciousness what combination of factors because mm. it's quite a straight cover yeah in that the original version of this song was released by uh, Liz Sorensen, a Danish artist. 
but written by um two other songwriters who are in a band called Edna Swap. And if you listen to the Edna Swap version, it's much slower, much mm. more downbeat. But that version came after Liz Sorensen's one, yeah. which is called Burnt rather than Torn because it's all in Danish. But musically, the Liz Sorensen one is almost identical. It's, yeah, yeah. So this is like a really straight English language cover. I guess maybe it's just combining the lyrics from Edna Swap's version with the music from... Yeah. It's not doing anything strikingly interesting or original. Original, no, but, but it's it somehow works. But how no. much of it? Because how much of it is the song itself then? Because it's it is catchy. It's got a good chorus. Um, it's acoustic guitar strummed, and it's got that sort of slightly U two guitar solo at the end. So it has a bit of respectability to it. Yeah, and your your argument just before we started recording, which you were saying a bit, is about her acting. Well, ability. because this is what I was going to get onto. Because I was wondering if a thing that makes this stand out, particularly say compared to uh, the Liz Sorensen version, although maybe if we spoke Danish, that one would speak to us as mm-hmm. well. But um. Uh, it's the fact that because you commented as soon as we're, we're watching the sort of video of this and as soon as it started David commented on the way she sort of walked in quite dramatically in the yeah. video and she is uh, you know she used to be a soap star but then her vocal delivery as well I feel like it's quite sort of passionate and melodramatic mm. and actually what makes this song work um, as like the definitive version of Torn if you like is the fact that she's just acting the story in a way like yeah. she's, she's putting a lot of herself or not herself but a lot of character into her delivery of the mm. vocal yeah again i guess that sort of just appeals to that thing it bypasses like people like us who might be a bit snobby about the spice girls or whatever it bypasses that thing and it's like oh this feels real this feels authentic <laughs> even though you know she's an actor <laughs> it's yeah. what she does is fake authenticity to a certain extent and yeah like the way she looks at the camera and yeah, generally exactly performs. the entire like the video and the song together it's very it's a soapy song i guess in that sense and if anything whenever i hear the song when i'm not seeing the video i hit i imagine the video like mm, they've become yeah. so entwined so yeah it's like because i don't want to take anything away from it and say oh it's not a very good song but she's just putting in a melodramatic performance or anything because it is it's a clearly a really good pop song yeah but her performance then is what sort of activates it so to speak and what takes it up another level from these other versions of it which are around uh and yeah it's it's i could you know i, I yeah I, i'm never not happy to hear this <laughs> no all i was going to say was just the additional joy of uh, how 90s the video is <laughs> where, yeah. wearing kind of almost walking around stroppily with a hoodie <laughs> hanging off one shoulder and cargo pants yeah uh, which we brought it's, up for the all saints uh, earlier i think it's quite <laughs> it's quite something it's a song which obviously quite a lot of people are nostalgic for but i think it holds up in its own right as well mm, i'd say so yeah. um so yeah with that weirdly unambiguous enthusiasm about Natalie Imbruglia, despite the fact I don't think either of us really know her other work at all. <laughs> well, but bits. I know some of the singles. I guess but... maybe then one thing, because she's not a one-hit wonder in that she no. did have other hits in the UK yeah, at yeah. least, but she's kind of an archetypal sense of she's remembered for one song. Very much <laughs> so. So maybe yeah. part of the appeal is this sort of one-hit wonder feeling, even if she's not entirely uh, a one-hit wonder, unlike the next artist, who I'm pretty sure is a genuine one-hit yeah. wonder. But it is also, I think, a very, very good yep, song. Yep. It's a uh, Kiss for Rain by Billy Myers. There's a laughter on the line. Are you sure you're there alone? Because I'm trying to explain something's wrong. 
Kisserain. Still not entirely sure. It's an interesting phrase. Maybe mm. we should just uh, sit on that because I did read that it was co-written by Desmond Child, who also produced her album. Yeah. And yeah, I remember reading that it was just a phrase he came up with one day and like mm. decided I need to write a song around this. And like it's interesting because when I listened to the song, I'd listened to it lots of times and I'd never really given much thought to what does Kisserain mean. <laughs> yeah. I see. Again, I remember hearing it a lot of the time. I think, but I do similarly remember at the time wondering what <laughs> but it's a very evocative image which is nonetheless nonsense as far as i can tell <laughs> uh, but it, that's part of what makes the song really good because it does have that slight obscurity to it that mm. a lot of good pop songs do where it's just got a catchy phrase which isn't too literal or anything like that and this is a really good pop song i think it's yeah. quite dramatic it's i guess there's a reason they queued it up with torn because they're quite similar in tone yeah. and almost sound this one's a bit more key driven mm. uh, rather than just acoustic guitars but it is tonally quite similar I, I don't know if I had to pick I'd probably oddly maybe go for this one do you think yeah, I think so. And maybe that's just because, like, I haven't heard it quite as much. Like, Torn is a bit more ubiquitous. Yeah. Um, whereas this one, it was a bit of a rediscovery. Because, like, if you'd asked me before we came back to listen to this album who Billy Myers is, I'd have gone, ah. <laughs> and I think a lot of people, even though a lot of people, especially of our generation, would recognize this song, hmm. I think a lot of people might have a similar reaction if you said, oh, you know, Kiss the Rain by Billy Myers. If you or just whatever. casually dropped it in conversation. Yeah, especially if you just yeah. mentioned Billy Myers and not the song name I mm. think they'd probably be pretty much a blank because she, she is much more of a one hit wonder mm. we looked it up and her follow up single got to number 24 in the yeah, UK and... but in the US this was her only hit and yeah it's a, it's kind of a shame because she does have a good voice it's a good voice and a good song I just don't know if and, anything else on the album quite compares and uh, as this as, as a side note as this one we uh have to hand a copy of the physical CD with the <laughs> yeah. liner notes so we can get a little look of the uh, notes that they write about each song. Mm. Uh, this was a song put on their pre-UK release. It had already done well mm. in the US at this point, but I always find that interesting when the Now albums put one on in anticipation yeah, yeah. of it being a hit. Well, we do it quite a lot, and like every now and then it doesn't pan out. No, it's, as we found It's a, particularly sometime. the case, I think, when it's somebody's second single or the first single off their new album. Yeah. Like, there'll be people who, like, they featured on the last Now album because they had the big number three smash or whatever, yeah. and that was their debut single, and then the next one comes out and it just drops um, <laughs> yeah. and completely out of sight. Whereas this one, I guess, uh, if it was already a hit in the US and it was just being released over here, they knew yeah. that it was almost certainly going to be. And it did get to number four in the chart. Um, so, yeah, it, the gamble paid off yep. this time. Yep. But to probably just stop and reflect on the fact yeah. that I don't think there's really been a bad song so far. Not really. I um, mean, well, I have a certain, I'd say... My ambivalence of Lighthouse Family's high. Sure, sure. It's probably the low point thus far, yeah, okay. which is better than but, actually hating a song. <laughs> well, <laughs> I was going to use this to segue into our next, because I think <laughs> it, uh, well, it's difficult to say whether it's a bad song, but it's definitely a song that I don't enjoy. It's it's a song <laughs> which has just felt like it was bloody everywhere for so long and still hasn't gone away. It's a little song called Angels by Robbie Williams.
I find it almost impossible to judge this song in that it's just so... It's too familiar. Well, it's not only think? familiar, but deeply associated with funerals and sad montages on tacky TV shows <laughs> and that kind of thing. And like, well, weddings to a certain extent as well. It's just like, in the UK at least, it's such a go-to emotional song if you need something which sounds a bit emotional, you know? Yeah, and I almost assume as well, say, people who don't listen to um, much music uh, generally like mm. it's almost this is a go-to song for uh, <laughs> the unmusically educated yes it's a song that you you will know even if you don't really listen to radio and the only time you hear music is when you're in a supermarket and it's playing mm-hmm. over the pa you will know this song so it's hard to tell whether it's actually a good song maybe yeah it's hard and to it's disassociate just... <laughs> the uh, ubiquitous nature over the last 20 odd years since the song's released I definitely uh, one thing i definitely notice and we won't dwell on this too long because as Robbie Williams appears again on Now 39 on CD2 and I think we'd probably rather talk about him there than here yeah. because like we say neither of us really like the song but uh, the one thing listening to it's more intently than I have done in a long mm. time for this is that I'm very very aware of his limitations of a singer on this song <laughs> which I don't think is true on the other one like because the other one it we should more just suits say I guess is Let vocal. Me Entertain You which yeah it's he doesn't really have to sing whereas mm. on this he has to sort of go for some quite powerful notes yeah, and, and things. Yeah, and it's kind of... Because this one is obviously... it's so There's so much emphasis on a vo- on his vocal. I find it interesting that in Take That, I think there was relatively few songs where he did a no, lead. No, well, he was just known as the chubby dancer, yeah. basically, wasn't he? I think that diminishes his role in Take That a little, but he definitely wasn't known for being a singer. And it's oddly fascinating to me, I guess, that he's got away with it in the UK mm. for so long, especially with this song being his biggest song. It only got, like, to number four in the chart, but, like, it just kept on selling yeah, forever and ever. For... And a long it sold time. like 1.2 million copies in the UK as of November 2012, mm. according to Wikipedia. So it may well have even sold more since then. And yeah, it's still one he digs out now, like because he did it at the World Cup opening ceremony, didn't yeah. he? Like, yeah. Like, cl- let me entertain you as well. So this is clearly the peak Robbie Williams <laughs> year. It's overexposed, and listening to it again now, it's hard to listen to it. Try and listen to it afresh, yeah, uh, because it's so it ingrained. Needs, uh, like a 25 year moratorium before we come back to it maybe <laughs> and then we can judge it more objectively yeah but you know lots of people like it and if you do then um good for you <laughs> Uh, yeah there's a whole like backstory as well about uh, a guy he met in a pub in Dublin who actually wrote an earlier version of the song mm. um, we won't go into it but it looks like he got pretty stiff but shall we leave Robbie Let's, behind yeah for move now? on for we'll now be, there'll We've be more time more for Robbie on the next podcast yeah. and next uh, is a big number one hit by various artists good old various <laughs> artists <laughs> although li- written by Lou Reed because it's uh, the BBC's cover version featuring many different artists of perfect day just a perfect day feed animals in the zoo then later a movie too and then home oh it's such a perfect day oh 
I do prefer the original version oh, yeah. of this song, obviously. And there is something kind of smug about getting all these mega famous people on to do this song, which kind of strips it of a bit of its life in the process. Yeah. It's, it's definitely an exercise in musical pull and getting all of these people in one places rather than it was to do anything actually interesting yeah, with the like song. Like in a kind of, oh, Bowie. And it was made as an advert originally. Mm. So, but, uh, you know, on those terms, it makes perfect sense. And it, it's not a terrible cover version either. Though. No, at the time, I really liked it. But then yeah, I okay. was 13. Yeah. And less familiar with uh, Lou Reed. I'd, like, the parents had Transformer no, vinyl. Well, I was so going to say, did, likewise, I did actually know the original, which isn't the I case did, no, with many but cover not, songs. I wasn't, but... like, innately familiar with it. No. I only knew of it, kind of. We should probably have a quick sort of rundown, because it begins and ends with Lou Reed himself. And Lou Reed has said that I've never been more impressed with a performance of one of my songs, because it was released eventually after People Like to Be Had as a single yeah. for char- Children in Need, and contributed 2.125 million to the thing. So I I imagine that's what Lou Reed's thinking when he's talking about the performance of one of his songs is as much as anything, this has done a lot of good for a lot of kids in need. So again, it would be churlish to sort of go, oh, it's it's a schmaltzy cover version of lots of celebrities. (laughs) But the list, like, because it starts and ends with Lou Reed, so it gets his official uh, seal of approval. But we've got Bono, Sky Edwards from Mochiba, David Bowie, who will reappear several times in this list Suzanne Vega, Elton John Boyzone, Leslie Garrett, Burning Spear, Bono, again, Thomas Allen, Heathersmorth Men People Emmy Lou Harris, Tammy Wynette, Shane McGowan, Dr. John, David Bowie again Robert Cray, Huey Morgan, Ian Brody Gabrielle, Dr. John, Evan Dando, Emmy Lou Harris, Brett Anderson from Suede, The Visual Ministry Choir, Joan Armatrading, Laurie Anderson, Heathersmorth, Tom Jones, Heathersmorth Lou Reed. So wow. it's... It always sounds like uh, a version of one of our themes <laughs> maybe we yeah. should do that uh... for, for now 39 maybe but yeah it is literally in a, a roster of megastars and it's a, a, <laughs> there's, a, there's a few in there who were very much off their yeah, time yeah and but... I like the fact of this was a group of assembled the idea of a group of assembled big music stars in mm. 1997 8 whenever this was which yeah is a fascinating a mix of people that would only have been that way at that time <laughs> yeah. it's hard to imagine like uh, Ian Brody getting called up for the modern equivalent of this That's for all that I like um, Ian Brody in the lightning seeds you know he's just not a public uh, or figure Ev- quite or Evan Dando no yeah exactly um, but uh, plus I think Tammy Winnett died not uh, that well, long okay. afterwards there's going to be yeah, some practical issues now if you were trying to recreate well, Bowie it. But, as well. But uh, apparently, and it does say at the end of the sort of advert, this is only possible because of a unique way the BBC is funded, which is sort of uh, meant as an advert for the licence fee. But it's mm. also notable that they later revealed that each artist received a token £250, which is the minimum pay for a performance on a BBC. So ironically, kind of what it says is that the way the BBC can pull off some really good things is by wildly underpaying the people involved (laughs) Um, and i don't know if that was really what they were going for i guess i don't know how much more there is to say about it really unless you wanted to sort of dig into the actual song original song but but... like we said that's not what it's about no so yeah maybe for now we just go wow they they earned a lot of money for charity and those people are lots of those are very famous beyond the suspicion that uh, you get less of a sense they're singing about heroin no, uh, uh, in this version, I think Reed has always denied, but it was about heroin, hasn't he? 
Well, yeah, sure. It's hard not to read that into given his uh, general lifestyle at the time. But yeah, I, I think maybe that's one of the other reasons he likes it then is because it's like people aren't talking about drugs this time. Mm-hmm. They're talking about the fact that... And no one's <laughs> assuming at least that yeah. it's about drugs. <laughs> so this is what Lou Reed wanted all along. Although, you know, I'm sure like Tom Jones did uh, all manner of songs about heroin and... Uh... Tom Jones... <laughs> Like, okay, <laughs> I don't know much of Tom Jones music I was wondering if I'd missed something in What's New Pussycat but yeah we'll leave it there for now and again it's one of those ones where it would be churlish to say anything bad about it but mm. ultimately if you're going to look up Perfect Day that's you're not, not going to listen to that one if you have the option to. of the um, original line really. so let us move on instead to another cover version um, this one is by Boyzone it got to number 2 and it's called Baby Can I Hold You Baby, can I hold you? Originally by Tracy Chapman, whose version is, I think it's probably uncontroversial to say, superior. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. She's just a, I mean, she's a great singer, so it's unfair almost to hold a 90s boy band up to her it's in those just, terms. I guess, but. I don't know if I have much to say about this cover beyond the fact that it's a fairly bland but mm. fine enough yeah, cover of a good song. I was thinking, yeah, like in terms of Boyzone songs and Boyzone cover versions, this is probably one of the better ones. Yeah, um, and I find it much less annoying than words. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and Love Me For A Reason, even. It was the ninth biggest selling boy band single of the 90s in the UK, apparently. I can't well, remember where I that's surprising because, I mean, from, but... ultimately, I think by this point, obviously, Boyzone were kind of relatively established boy mm. band had already accrued a certain fan base that were probably likely to buy regardless. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's weird that when I think of Boyzone, this, I often forget they did this. I think because yeah. it, in my mind it's always just a Tracy Chapman song. <laughs> I just don't think of Boyzone now. Well, there is that. <laughs> but, you know, and, but the thing is, I will think of some of their covers, like Love Me For A Reason or whatever, but I'll never... Uh, yeah, I always forget they did this one. It, it, it was very much a formula with Boyzone and a few bands at the time and since where they'd pick a song like this where like the parents of the kids who are buying it would know the Tracy mm. Chapman version but the kids wouldn't and so it's like let's get a song which suits the artist but that isn't like in the popular consciousness like there's a reason Boyzo never covered Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> because you know it's beyond them on many levels but also because you're never going to like even people growing up will recognise that as a Queen song whereas uh, if you're 10 years old 10 year old girl in 1998 or whatever I'm guessing you probably don't have a huge no. knowledge of Tracy Chapman's bad catalogue and thus so this is like fresh and this is this is your definitive version of a song maybe yeah. but yeah I don't know it's I'm, a fairly straight cover I don't know if there's even that much to say about Boyzone in general but they were around for a quite a long time during yeah, this period they're re- so. now regulars over yeah, a period in the 90s 15 now appearances in total I think I did try to toss it up for some of these artists we skipped over the fact that Robbie Williams has been on 30 different now albums um, but 15 from a uh, boy zone is pretty impressive on a certain level but it's fair to say that this is not a hugely memorable song no. uh, nor is it a hugely sort of terrible song which is often a talking point yeah. in 
yeah, it's it's fine. Like, I don't have anything particularly against them doing a cover of it. I like the original song. It's just I'm never going to choose to listen to it. No, sure. So shall we move on then yep. to another cover version? Uh, this one is by Tintin Out featuring Shelley Nelson. And it's a cover of The Sunday's Here's Where the Story Ends. Outs are a relatively regular feature on now albums, and they always yeah. seem to be basically doing a cover version of a slightly more alternative song with a bit of a dancey beat, and then getting a, a lady to sing on top. Yeah, without doing an awful lot to <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, at least because we've chatted about them before. If you mm, may remember, it was our with pilot. Emma Bunton doing a version of an Edie Brickle song. Yeah, what I am. Yes, um, and that was a bigger hit. This one only got to only got to it got to number seven in a charts compared to number two with Emma Bunton. But I guess that's what uh, having a former Spice Girl on your side does for your well, child position. Yeah. There's an extra five things yeah, right Maybe there. Shelley Nelson has uh, less uh, purchase power no, than... Yeah, uh, well, I d- she doesn't... I don't know much about her. I, couldn't, I sort of Googled her briefly, but she doesn't like have her own Wikipedia page or anything. Mm. And mostly she just seems known for working with Tintin Out. Because <laughs> they work through a various, a few different singers at different yeah. times. And after this song did well, she was on the next song but then she, after that song didn't do well she was gone <laughs> and they were in the next year they'd hooked up with a Spice Girl but it's interesting well, well actually the opposite of interesting it's boring how <laughs> similar those two songs are in a way in that they are both these uh, really straight covers with the rough edges entirely taken off because this was originally by the Sundays who were a twee indie band from late 80s early 90s yeah. um, it was, this particular single but the the Sunday's version was never released in the UK because their record label collapsed. So I guess on that front, maybe this is the definitive version for some people in the yeah. UK. Oh. But the original is just, it's almost exactly the same, but it just sounds more organic and natural yeah. and better yeah. <laughs> for that for me. And even, and even the original song, like, it's fine. Like mm. it obviously to me it obviously sounds better, but at the same time it doesn't do an awful lot for me as a song. No, it's not hugely exciting. It's just a nice little jaunty <laughs> pop tune. Yeah, I and, mean and in that, like what they do to it here, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just it feels a bit pointless. Yeah, um, yeah. in a way which even because it's since this was only like eight years after the original as well mm. like and that was the same with their version of what, what I, I am. am that was only it what was 10 years after the first recent yeah so it doesn't even have that same excuse that we were talking about with Boyzone where like the listeners would probably not have heard this mm. before well I don't know maybe it does because obviously they're bringing it to a much more mainstream market but yeah it just it, especially in retrospect it's one of those covers which feels a little bit pointless <laughs> Uh, but that just makes me wonder if Tintin out generally were a kind of parasitic band. <laughs> 
but I guess, yeah, it's unspectacular and easy to forget. And I think we can probably do that now and move yes. on to a song where you certainly couldn't say either of Ooh, those things. No. <laughs> this, in fact, on any other Now album, this would be the weirdest song on it. But mm. 39 is quite a special yeah, case. Yeah. Um, but we'll leave the even weirder stuff for later in the podcast. For, for now, let's just enjoy uh, Space duetting with Keris uh, Matthews of Catatonia yeah. um, with their hit The Ballad of Tom Jones. Ah, yes. You change your mind and then slam on the brakes. It was lucky for us we brought his greatest hits. You stopped us from killing each other. You'll never know but you saved our lives. I love this song. Oh, it's great. <laughs> uh, and it does, it's, so, it's so... It shouldn't have been a hit by any sort of normal standard because it's a weird song with weird music about a weird thing, but it got <laughs> to number four in the charts. And I believe it was their biggest hit space. it is their biggest um, hit despite the fact space are probably better known now or better remembered now for female of a species oh and yeah, yeah. um, maybe just because it was on cold feet mm. so a point i should mention here that i at the very least then loved space so <laughs> okay. they were one of my let's so say particularly around a bit after when spiders came out i'd have been 12 13 uh, and they were one of my first loves so i, I had the uh, cassette tin planet album uh, is there anything else on it which is quite this odd? Um, not really, I get but the, the impression al- they're quite a quirky band. They in are, some ways, um, but... and I'd say uh, Tin Planet was the most was a more successful album as well than Spiders. That generally yeah. that was their peak uh, success period. But the album generally, it's in a way like the band. It's uh, stylistically a bit all over the place, mm. um, but it's definitely. There's a certain linking cinematic kind of style of yeah, well, it was much very of the songs. Sort of off the time, for bits of space I know anyway, because um, you know them better than me, there's that sort of tendency to sort of sample TV and film things. Yeah. Like, do you remember the Avalanches? Who were a yeah, bit later? Yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like space were a progenitor of that In kind a way, of thing. yeah. You know, like, like this... This song, obviously, uh, you know, name checks various uh, horror characters in film, and, yeah. and they've often the lyrics often refer to B movies mm. and things. It's um, I guess in the sort of late nineties, mid to late nineties in particular, there was a lot of that detached, ironic pop cultural literate mm. type thing. Like Neil Hannon, obviously of um, Divine Comedy, had a few hits at yeah, the time, yeah. and he's that kind of songwriter as yeah, well. Yeah, and one of um, one of Space's earlier hits, Neighborhood. Uh, was just listing supposed characters and uh, behind the scenes horrific natures <laughs> and yeah i think that song which yours the first song the first album serves as a suitable introduction and there's a kind of similar style of this but in a much better more realized way i guess one thing we need to address is whether anywhere on a now album there's a better couplet than i've never thrown my knickers at you and i don't come from wales because <laughs> <laughs> It's perfect. it's an odd one to base a chorus around. <laughs> yeah, and the fact and it works so well with Keris being yes, yeah. uh, well, very this is well. Why I was curious about the writing of it. Whether like because they 
wrote it without her to begin with, by the looks of it, because they had another one of the mm. band members on the scratch track and then yeah. got her into singing. But they had supported Catatonia a couple of years before on tour and they didn't know one another. So I assume they must have written it with her in mind. I imagine so. It's entirely bizarrely specific. If they'd it's had not. at least <laughs> shared touring history and knew each other for the previous couple of yeah. years. So I... I mean, technically, I guess maybe, yeah, it needs to be someone Welsh. And I guess if you were going to get anyone in the mid 90s it was going to be Keris she's like uh, <laughs> yeah the I, token I, Welsh pop I still uh, love Keris Matthews man yeah. I just like her radio show I just love hearing her talk never mind singing as I say I'll try not to go into too much detail about this as I could talk about space for ages but mm. it kind of ended in a slightly sad way in that their follow-up album to this the first single kind of tanked and then the label pulled the album getting released oh really and then after like lots of legal wranglings and so on they then did another album uh which didn't do very well the band split up Hmm. then they reunited when their original drummer died in a car crash and they after a few years of having fallouts and not really seeing each other, they met up again for the funeral, which then prompted a reunion. <laughs> wow. But uh, yeah, they've so they've had a somewhat a checkered history. And considering how well Tin Planet and this song generally did, um, it seems like it was a pretty sharp decline. Yeah, back to this song, though, because it is spectacularly good. And just, if like, compared to... This is a good point, I guess. If you look at Stop, Stop looks like it's been manufactured for a particular audience using... Mm. All all the right ingredients because yeah. they know that it would be do well but ultimately to us it feels a little soulless by the yeah. end of it whereas yeah. this is the opposite this is all the wrong ingredients <laughs> coming together in the perfect way and creating yeah. a song which is not only sort of brilliant to nerds like us but which captured the public imagination again like we said it's one of the weirdest songs on any other now album it, but it's not on this and again it would be the best song on most other now yeah, albums yeah and it fills me with such joy and obviously I've got bias from a certain sure. tie, you know, nostalgia for the band. Yeah, and the fact that I'm in love with Keris Matthews. <laughs> so we're both probably not the most objective observers, no, but um, sure. it's a very good song for me. I yeah, very it, much but enjoy it. it. Um, again, though, speaks for the quality of the pop charts at the time and this uh, compilation, though, that we're not immediately saying, well, this is obviously the best thing on the album. Because we've got <laughs> well, exactly. some stuff there, which, there's some uh, compe- is to come Fair up. competitors, which will, so, you know, some of which we'll get to later. Yeah, with that in mind, shall we sort of press on? Yeah. The next song is by another regular now band, um, not quite as regular as Robbie or Boyzone, but it's Texas, who we have spoken about we have on one other podcast. Now 44, now I 44. Um, I think this is a slightly better song than that. Uh, it got to number four on the chart, and it's called Insane. Texas. We have, I feel like they're turning into a bit of a running joke for us mm. because we come across them on quite a lot of these now albums. Both yeah. were uh, the one, like we've done, talked, spoken about them on our pilot episode for Now 44, but we've listened to lots of other now albums and they are a relatively regular feature yeah. during this period in particular. Yeah. And so many of their songs are entirely forgettable. <laughs> to be fair to them for me, there are select few that I think yeah. I prefer, but 
that you know I'd even go as far as saying I quite like but it's a weird mix from a band that were generally quite ubiquitous for mm. at least this kind of time in the 90s they they were I guess they were sort of a radio 2 band at the time oh, it's yeah. like when I was a kid I don't remember hearing them getting played on radio one or anything no. whereas like you know obviously Spice Girls and stuff like that but they sort of younger so this must have been sort of pitched at sort of respectable people in Adult their late 30s or something yeah unless it just sort of bypassed us a little bit maybe I mean I um, I remember you know the various songs doing well mm, and I remember this at the time but then it's it's another band though where basically for me I remember say what you want yeah <laughs> and that's like in my head as all Texas songs um, which is a bit unfair because they've got a bit more stylistic variation and like this one especially compared to some of their songs this one's a bit catchier it's got a fairly good chorus yeah, yeah. and quite sort of tonally melodramatic it's tonally and kind of interesting mm. uh, more so than say the one we talked about now 44 yeah which, which... was summer sun was it? <laughs> don't know see you can't even remember <laughs> um but for us very much not one of their no. best well, i um, think the, the sort of thing which strikes me most about this is that it was released as a double a side yeah. with a version of say what you want which was a collaboration with um well the wu-tang clan in particular method man and rizzo i think and yeah quite again we can't <laughs> work out how this this combination i guess they just met at the brits one day yeah and... <laughs> it, but it's so strange if you listen to the song where it for a bit it essentially yeah. it sounds wu-tang well, like, and it, then it, it doesn't actually sound it. like a collaboration or anything it just sounds like a mashup that someone's yeah. done. It's taken a bit of Wu Tang and a bit of Texas and put them together. So it doesn't work, but it's, it it's seem more to, interesting yeah, than this. I'd probably listen to that over the origi- yeah. their, their version of Say What You Want. But um, <laughs> ultimately, though, I'd rather listen to a Wu Tang Clan album over well, anything by Texas. Well, there we go. But, um, um, so maybe we should just move on and, and listen to Hanson, whose song Weird got to number 19. interesting one this was co-written by desmond child like kiss for rain mm. um he has actually said that it was uh, a favorite song he's written because it's about being different and i grew up poor i grew up being latin i grew up being gay and now i'm fat he says that may be well but the actual lyrics it's, to this is, are not good it's just <laughs> a bit meh. it schmaltz um yeah. and it's interesting as well i guess for hansen because they the I think that a lot of people in the UK think of them as a one-hit wonder yeah. being Mbop. And regardless of they did have a couple of other charting yeah. hits in the UK, that, that, that's fairly accurate, like most people know. And Mbop, give or take some of the crappy DJ sort of scratching in mm. it, which was just obligatory at the time, it still stands up as yeah, a pop it's song. Yeah, it's a fun song, Whereas this one is sort of dull and it drags it's a and it's schmaltzy. It's but just fairly unremarkable. At the same time, though, Hanson are quite a respected band these days. They've kept going all this time. Mm. They've written sort of some very very fairly critically acclaimed <laughs> albums and things and like they recently were doing a concert series backed up by a full orchestra and things like wow. they're very much into that uh, realm of respectable music mm. these days while still uh, having like quite a fervent excitable 
fan base who really care about them. And I'd say this song doesn't really ha- uh, help that image. <laughs> no, well, but I, I was going to say with this song, I don't know how it sort of sits in their canon, whether they still play it live and stuff, because it just feels like an ear, a nothing song, really. There's like some good noises in that, and they do some nice harmonies. Mm. Uh, so I guess those, like the harmonies in particular, point to one of the strengths of them as a band, in yeah, that they're yeah. properly musical, in a way that say Spice Girls or Robbie Williams maybe are mm-hmm. not. But yeah, the actual writing on this song just doesn't have anything really to recommend it, I don't think. Nah, I mean, just a bit dull in um, it. The video was apparently directed by Gus Van Sant, oh. who has made some very boring films. Yeah, um, <laughs> it was him who uh, did the he did Last Psycho Day. Oh yeah, he shot. did the remake of Psycho. That's his biggest crime. But Last Days is one of only two films I've fallen asleep during in the cinema. The kind of weird the folk Kurt Cobain, Cobain one, yeah. Um, and so I don't. I'm not a big fan of Gus. Actually, the video isn't. No, again, it's, it's fairly dull. And it's just got a bunch of people who. Gus Van Sant considers weird. Mostly identical twins. I and, don't know what he's got and, against them. Uh, and some sort of 2001 uh, yeah. reference. But yeah, it's but it's not hugely interesting. Not really. I just, the thing is, not a huge amount to say about this song, I nah. don't think. So we move could just on, sort of leave it and move on to... Uh, <laughs> A much bigger song, I think it's fair to say, in terms of it's how mm. well it's remembered. It's uh, Leanne Rimes's How Do I Live. Given that a listen, and it's fair, I think, to say that it's not really up our streets. No, I um, mean, she can clearly sing very yeah, well. She's uh, um, absurdly talented as a singer, but it is awful, awful schmaltz of a song. Mm. And it's, it's a kind of song as well where it's not fun. <laughs> no, it's just the kind of stereotypical country ballad. Yeah, yeah. It's nothing particularly it's interesting. heartbreak played out in melodramatic fashion. Um, but at the same time, it was a huge hit. It was in the charts for a particular... It was notable for how long it was in the chart as much as anything. It was mm. a nice stat I enjoyed here where it spent so many weeks inside the top five in the US that it competed directly with two songs by Usher. Uh, you <laughs> Make Me Wanna and Nice and Slow that were released seven months apart. So wow. it was in the charts for uh, quite a long time. Um, 25 weeks in the top charts, 69 weeks uh, in the top 100, 32 in the top 10 in the US, mm. 30 weeks in the top 40 uh, for UK, and it's the biggest ever hit in the UK not to get in the top five of the singles yeah. chart in terms of like overall sales. Good fact. So it's interesting, I guess, that it was, despite never sort of getting everyone at once, mm. but it's, everyone must have bought this eventually, given how long it yeah. stuck around. So yeah, I don't know what ooh, the appeal is necessarily, because it yeah, sounds, I well, I was really going to say know. it sounds like however many other songs, but it also sounds entirely identical to the other version of How Do I Live, which yeah. was released at the same time. It's odd. Isn't it? There were two people, Trisha Yarwood did the other song, and then it was because... 
this was written with Leanne Rhymes in mind and she did her version and it was going to be used on the Con Air soundtrack the famous <laughs> Michael Bay yeah. Nick Cage film but Walt Disney Pictures who were making it uh, decided that Rhymes had too much of a pop sound and that she was too young at 14 years old to be singing about this kind of thing and we should maybe underline that 14 thing when we're talking about how talented she is as a singer yeah and there's uh, it's ridiculous so, to have um, a voice as like I that. think at the time if you remember that uh, she's initially it seemed to be that she was famous because partly because of how young she was so that was mm. uh, there was much attention made to that and there's uh, a funny little thing that I read about how uh, when she uh, Signed in 1996, so when she had her first, did her first single and album and yeah. so on, after she'd signed with Curb Records, she'd recorded a new version of a song that she'd previously sung as an 11 year old. But apparently, the BBC, in, a, in an interview with the BBC in October 2016, she said that uh, the record company accidentally released the version she'd recorded at 11. <laughs> and again, so, like... which I think is a good indicator I, I, of just I... how. Yeah, talented yours at a young age as far as her voice goes it's one of those I guess maybe it happens a bit more in the sort of world of country where they, she probably grew up around music and everything and was mm. performing as soon as she Quite, was able I, I to assume so, hold yeah. a microphone but yeah it's it's impressive but either way Trisha Yarwood was dis- selected to re-record it mm. um, for Con Air being that she was of age and therefore it was appropriate as far as Disney was concerned but Leanne Rimes's one was the much bigger sort of chart song uh, yeah. they were both nominated uh, for best song at the grammy awards in 1998 for the same song very strange uh, <laughs> scenario and it was odd as well because directly like leanne rhymes performed the song at the ceremony and then immediately afterwards trisha yarwood won the best female country vocal performance grammy for it for that song <laughs> yeah which is it's that's a kick weird, in the teeth if there ever was one given that whole sort of like not getting in the top five to start selling loads in the uk thing it's almost an almost song mm. in terms of it. it it's almost one of the biggest songs of all time but it never quite and the thing of it not being in the top five yeah well that's what i mean various um, yeah various things of it being uh so not yeah quite. It, it, it's interesting because it's a very memorable song i guess like i don't think anyone who is around at the time wouldn't go oh that one even yeah. if they're not you know oh pounds. yeah that are- it was ubiquitous at the time again i definitely remember it but yeah it's never one i took to no. um if you're in in the mood for if i was gonna pick between this and my heart will go on which are both kind of dreary balladry as yeah. far as i'm concerned i'd probably go for this yeah but that's just i think but she's got a better voice that doesn't necessarily uh, say much no, yeah. really, does it? Uh, so let's move on then to shania twain and her song you're still the one they said I bet they'll never make it, but just look at us holding on. We're still together, still going strong. Still, you're still the one I run to, the one that I belong to. I said to David during this, but it's not a terrible song, but it is an ironic one. <laughs> yes, because uh, as uh, you may or may not, not know, this was uh, written about her then Husband. marriage with uh, 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 Mutt Langer. 
Yeah, um, uh, but he was significantly older than her, yes. right? And there is a whole, oh, that will never last type thing, mm. public discourse surrounding them. At least in America. I'm assuming this wasn't a thing going on in England, given this was her first it's song first, over Yeah, here. seemingly her first single outside um, the US. But yeah, either way, it was written in response to sort of the scandal of her marriage to an older man and about how they're still together and they'll always be together. But then he cheated on her with her best friend and then they divorced yep. and then she later married the ex-husband of her old best friend yeah <laughs> and so there's a soap opera going on in the background of this but let's focus on the um <laughs> song itself i yeah. guess i guess like this is another classic case of um now playlist programming where we have two country crossover artists doing a sort of heartbroken or not heartbroken in this case they're almost opposite thematically in that mm. one of them is about still being with someone and the other one is but essentially um, both country-ish yeah. ballads and I, I guess if i had to guess i'd probably guess had to pick i'd probably go for this one yeah uh, there is something weirdly satisfying about playing the chords <laughs> i don't know what it is yeah, like the chorus is good as well yeah. like it's a better pop song than um leanne rhymes this one i think but uh, at the but same time it's not saying a lot necessarily no. i mean <laughs> but, you know i'm not a big shania twain fan but again like this is probably one of her better songs in my head yeah, at least. you know i'm right. gonna say that again i'm sure if i went to her rootsy country stuff i'd find some things i enjoy a bit more or whatever but yeah in of, of her big hits it's memorable it, it's very much like leanne rhymes in that respect in that mm. it's a song that i'm never gonna not recognize or anything yeah. and i think it's a song as well a lot of people who would even if you said oh you do you remember that shania twain song and they went no if they actually heard it they go oh this uh, one yeah. so it's got that much going for it which on a now album is something yeah um because um, this album in particular and this disc is a collection of songs where you might say that <laughs> yeah the, i'd say pretty much all of them are yeah. very memorable but yeah it's neither of us are gonna go too heavily to bat for Shania. No. I don't think she's just really not up uh, our streets. And on that note, should we go to someone else who's not up our streets? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, I guess, to think whether this next song is more or less memorable. Um, it may well depend on how you feel about James Bond, because it's the theme tune to Tomorrow Never Dies by Sheryl Crow. Okay, so as we say, if you know Bond, and I mean, guess from the title alone, Tomorrow well, Never Dies, yeah. if you know anything about Bond, you'd probably guess this is a Bond theme. Um, it seems to have been widely trashed by the critics <laughs> in a way which, because it's not, I guess we should give our own opinions first. It's like, it's obviously not a great Bond theme or anything no. like that. And it's too long and it's a bit dull and she doesn't have the greatest voice in the world, but it's um not as bad as some of her reaction seems to be. Like, there was someone here who said Jim Farber in Entertainment Weekly, in fact, her brittle voice lacks the operatic quality of best Bond girls and boys like Shirley Bassey, Tom Jones, or even Melissa Manchester. Tomorrow Never Dies should be her eyes only. Uh, I should also point out that there is then a bracketed bit after this on Wikipedia pointing out that Melissa Manchester 
Manchester never actually did a Bond song. <laughs> so I don't know how much we <laughs> should take say, Jim Farber seriously. I was going to say, I was a bit, I remember her. Uh, but then there was um, Farber, in fact, again. Really? She's at the worst hire since Aha fronted one of these themes. So, oh, The Living Daylight? Yeah, but did. Jim Farber really hates this song. Um, <laughs> and I just, I don't, I can't care that it much doesn't, about it. It doesn't prompt that strong a reaction. <laughs> There's the odd Cheryl Crow song that I quite like mm. without ever calling myself a massive fan. This one is not one of them. It's a fairly unremarkable attempt at uh, what you'd imagine as a stereotypical Bond well, song. I mean, that is kind of a problem, isn't it? It's just, it's a Bond theme. Yeah, um, and it should have more... Like, oomph. Oomph. <laughs> yeah, and it well, lacks a it, bit. It went through some issues in the production because apparently the Bond producers solicited tracks from Pulp, the Cardigan, Saint Etienne, and Swan Lee before they went for Cheryl Crow. Oh, well, and before go. that, as well, KD Lang recorded a song which was eventually rejected and became like the end credit song um, called Surrender, which sounds not a million miles no. away from this. And partly that's obviously because it's a Bond thing. Yeah. But it's, it seems even more peculiar than that. I guess Cheryl Crow, I feel, is more of a household name, probably. But yeah, I'd say so. Either way, it seems like an odd choice. Because, I, I, you know, we listen to Surrender, and I don't think it's... It's not like a great Bond theme in itself, but the difference between the two is such that it seems... Why, why you'd reject that one only to then go for this is a bit... Yeah, and it doesn't seem like there's much between them, really. It's not like this is... No. Obviously better. It's not a very exciting Cheryl Crow song and it's not a very exciting Bond song. No, so maybe so... we can leave it at yeah. that. And move on to a very different song. Radiohead's No Surprises. This is my almost to know where to start <laughs> with a song like this in the context of a Now That's What yeah, I Call Music album. Because yeah. it's, I mean, this one got to number four in the charts, mm. which is weird enough by itself, but remember as well that Paranoid Android from Num- the same album, number, number three, yeah, which is a six and a half minute song of discordant squalling and lyrics about death and suicide yeah. <laughs> well this one is kind of dark lyrically it's sort of sung in a comforting way mm. but there's stuff about carbon monoxide handshake yeah it's almost more like the comfort of asphyxiation yeah, exactly. uh, it, it, very much that sort of feeling of numbness that comes with just before death in hyperthermia yeah. or something yeah. like that is sort of what it evokes but it was a big a big chart hit yeah. <laughs> it was on the radio it's strange and you know like I don't know how much we could say about OK Computer generally that hasn't already been said. No, well, this um, is another thing of talking about this kind of but song in, in the this context, context. That's the interesting is thing. Because it was endless sort of chatter to have about the making, and people have written entire books about the making of OK <laughs> Computer and things, and how this song fits into it. I mean, there were some kind of interesting things. Like, I was interested to find out that this was the first take of this song. Ah, okay. Um, what did it say? It was like a first song recorded 
recorded on the first day of the sessions for OK Computer, and the childlike guitar set the mood for the entire album. They did endless versions afterwards, but they all just sounded like covers of the first version, so they mm. went back to the original. They intended it as kind of a stadium-friendly song, which again <laughs> sounds nuts. It sounds crazy, <laughs> When you it? sort of listen to it, but then when they describe it in context, the idea was first frighten everyone with climbing up the walls, and then come again with a pop song with a chorus that sounds like a lullaby, and that sort of mm. it fits in that side of sense, like with the nightmarish vision that OK Computer sets <laughs> out. This has a very specific role and place yeah. within that, and it's it's glorious in the context of that album and it's glorious by itself it's, oh yeah it's one of the best songs of that decade uh, I almost just, certainly i just find i mean ultimately i could probably say this about however many other their songs particularly on that album but i find uh something about this kind of eerily perfect just mm. both how re- well realized it is the combination of music and lyric yeah and if, if if our word isn't good enough for you NME put it 107 on their list of 150 best tracks <laughs> of the past 15 years well, in 2011. Well, uh, there we go. And what higher phrase could there possibly be even being in a list made by the NME? I'm kind of guessing that almost everyone will know this song. This one doesn't fit yeah. into that list of ones where it's like, oh, I recognise this one. It it's may be, so distinctive. Yeah, but I, I feel yeah. like even people who aren't Radiohead fans probably Well, know I still it remember and... like there's some joke in the royal family where they're going up to sing Baby David to sleep and they start singing this. <laughs> Robert, you go so again. So I, I just think of that as how much it's culturally ingrained mm, no, in, yeah. uh, of the uh, time. But um, no, it's brilliant okay i don't know like what what more do we say i mean <laughs> what, you know we, we, I guess we gush could about, about it for ages but... a little bit because we haven't actually yeah. said about that but the video is just as brilliant as the song <laughs> yeah it's famously i guess if, if you've never seen it before you just go look it up online but it's uh, tom york's head in a sort of singing along to the lyrics which you can see scrolling on a sort of auto mm. prompter type teleprompter type thing and then the the jar which is heading just starts slowly filling with water yeah he have that long instrumental section where he's just sort of yeah. holding his breath desperately. Yeah, like uh, I was saying to you before we started recording that uh, uh, my sister and I, we had like the VHS <laughs> of their videos at the time and... Uh, Making uh, friends is before easy. We, uh, before we quite realised that uh, they clearly, uh, you know, sped, sped up it up and bit. then slowed it down to the video. We would always like, compete to hold our breath for the duration mm. that he does, <laughs> appears to in the video. Hopefully not with your head actually mm. in water though, because that might well, have been no. dangerous but it was again though the best bit of the video you were saying is when the water eventually drops and he yeah. takes a big lung full of air yeah. and then gets back to singing when it's like I've done it he realises and there's just this grin which starts spreading across it, his it, face intensely looking at the camera yeah because yeah, that's it because he knows he's still got the rest of the song to get yeah. through and he sort of wants to be doing the deadpan thing still because that's what Tom York always does in his yeah, videos yeah. well I say that he's become known for funny dancing and things since but mm. at this time he was very deadpan a lot of yeah. the time but uh, there's like just this grin which he can't keep off his face <laughs> because it's like yes I've come out of the water and I've managed to lip sync back in again and it's all <laughs> fine and yeah that is pleasing in its own way yeah. but no it's a great song it's a great video yeah. I guess maybe we'll leave it at that yeah. because far more musically savvy people than I have written at this about this song and Radiohead well, at great yeah. length so <laughs> we'll leave it to them and we will concentrate instead on Lucky Man by the Verve Happiness 
I watch you look up and watch my fever grow and I know just where I am. But how many corners do I have to turn? How many times do I have to learn? All the love I have is in my mind. But I'm a lucky man. I don't think either of us are huge fans of Verve or Richard Ashcroft. Yeah, well, he does obviously inspire. I did have, I do have the album. I got the album at the mm. time. And I don't think I could ever claim to be like a massive fan. But at the time, I did quite like the album. Although even then, I remember thinking it's a bit overlong, which yeah. I think it for me... It all of their songs as well. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, like it's, and realise increasingly how ultimately self-indulgent they are, or at least mm. they are in this album. In this song, like we were just commenting as we were listening, the that intro. how long the intro is when it's, it's just, just three, three chords, chords strung fairly simply. And yeah, it's like, it doesn't need to be that long, but it, it makes sense as a live thing yeah, for that yeah. to be there. Because this song, and it's one of the reasons I do quite like this song even more maybe than Bittersweet Symphony or the sort of more obvious purpose, mm. is because it expresses a sentiment that you don't often get... He's talking about the fact that, you know, he's quite lucky to be able to do what he does yeah. and to be a rock star and things and just humbly appreciating his position. And it's nice, <laughs> considering what you tend to associate with, like, that kind of genre. Yeah, yeah. It's, an, it's a nice change. But if you think it's nearly five minutes, this song. Yeah, well, but yeah, it goes on for too long, definitely. It was uh, one of six songs released between 1986 and 2006 that Bono says he wished Great. he'd written. Uh, um, I, I didn't look up which the other songs were, but it doesn't suggest a huge amount of songwriting ambition on Bono's part. No, the uh, <laughs> it's three chords, the three mate. chords all the way through. <laughs> you could do that if you really try, but no, yeah, I don't know. It's it's not a bad song, but it's odd as well being um sort of pinned between the two songs. It is with Radiohead, No Surprises, which is a really great yeah. song. And what's coming? And next? It's interesting, I guess, because we didn't say, but I, people may have thought that when we were talking about there's a much weirder song later, we meant No Surprises, <laughs> but it's actually the song which comes after this. Yes. Um, which shall we move on to, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Because um, the song after this is Pulps This Is Hardcore. And if we just sort of stick on this one for a second, this is like this weird, upbeat, simple pop tune between these two experimental dark rock mm. songs. And it's like, I guess maybe they thought we can't have uh, Pulp and Radiohead back to back. It's yeah. too much. So we just need this as an interview. Because it's clearly <laughs> that a little indie bit at the end. Yeah, yeah. This is it. They, they sort of jammed all these sort of indie these songs in here towards the end uh, slightly uncomfortably but mm. it's it, the more natural running order you would have thought would have been lucky man no surprises this is hardcore mm. because lucky man is the poppiest of yeah. those songs and it would follow more naturally from the sort of country ballad yeah. section but that's not what they went for um <laughs> so that means we just get a sort of relatively good pop rock song in between the misery and apocalypticness <laughs> uh, of Radiohead and Pulp. And I guess it's, uh, well, we'll get onto this in a sec, but it's yeah. interesting talking about Pulp in these terms because their best known songs would fit quite nicely alongside this yeah. your yeah. disco 2000s, your common peoples. But um, this is Hardcore, which we will listen to in a second, came from the album of the same name, which was quite a uh, experimental, stylistic leap yeah. for Pulp, I feel. Um, so let's listen to a little bit of it, I guess. It's gonna be one hell of a night You can't be 
a way to end yeah. a disc on a now album. It could be one of the best <laughs> endings of a now CD. Probably say it got to number 12. So I think this was actually a break on a run of top 10 hits. So by pulp standards, it wasn't actually as mm-hmm. big a hit as some things. But given that it's... Given what the song is. Well, this is it. It's a song which doesn't have a chorus. No. <laughs> it doesn't have like a conventional pop structure. It's like an apocalyptic orchestral um, rumination on on exploitation in the pop music yeah. industry. <laughs> like, I, there's a 2012 interview with Q Magazine where he said, there's a bit about fame. He'd watched a lot of porn <laughs> on tour uh, and the way people get used up in it. And he'd say you'd see the same films year after year and something had gone in their eyes later. Um, and he was sort of saying it's similar to the way people get used up in the entertainment business. Which, I mean, it's an interesting sentiment, mm. but the expression of it would make you feel like it's about the sort of evisceration of his soul or something. It's It's like no holds barred existential angst. And full on orchestral. Yeah, exactly. It's it's not a pop song by any conventional standard. Like literally (laughs) no way you can sort of think of what a pop song is fits with this. And I kind of love the indication that because this is another one in the line and notes uh, for the album were, that was yet to be released but the fact that I mean obviously Pulp uh, already had some big hits mm. but um, it's a great indication of the times that and now could uh, fairly co- fairly confidently preempt a song of, <laughs> yeah, like well, this of success. It's interesting because when we have read sort of interviews with people who've compiled now albums in the past mm. there's always such an emphasis on oh, there's no editorial stuff, it's not about sort of what we like or things like that but at the same time like well like you say if there was like this run of top 10 hits before then mm. so you, you, they could be fairly confident it was going to feature in the charts somewhere so it's not going to be like one of those ones where it only got to number 48 or whatever mm. and it does look a bit embarrassing in retrospect Yeah, but at the same time it's hard to think that they listened to it and thought hey this is going to be a big <laughs> smash they, there must have been some element of we want this to be in here yeah. because it's if, if people have bought this remember this is the same disc which has stop near the beginning by yeah, Spice Girls yeah. if you've bought it for stop what are you going to do when this comes on <laughs> you either get to throw out your Spice Girls just, records and change your musical mentality entirely or run away screaming I'm just trying to it's, imagine the Venn diagram of <laughs> exactly. uh, interest of that song in this one it's amazing and like you know in case there is any doubt this is the song this is the weird song Oh, yeah, this is yeah. the best song for me at least on this entire uh, probably on the entire album but definitely on this disc uh, yeah definitely on the entire album actually <laughs> it's incredible and this is hardcore the album is from and we shouldn't sort of delve too deeply down the pulp rabbit hole because mm. there's a huge amount there's of talk about there. them as yeah. well but like the album is amazing it's got all these great songs on like a little soul like yeah. Sylvia like help the aged which was a single before this one party heart it's just full of these weird reflective songs mm. where I, I I guess the album before Different Class yep. catapulted them to a completely new level of fame mm. than they'd had before because they'd been around for a decade yeah, and I think by this his point. His and hers had More some bad. moderate success mm. and then the Different Class was full on. Because Common People, yeah, was 
pretty big mm. disco 2000 pretty big yeah. in all of those kind of songs um and those songs were mostly about looking back or reflecting on you know both of those in fact are very good examples common people is about when he was at art school mm. disco 2000 is about a girl he used to have a crush on and i guess if you look at babies which was from his and yeah, hers wasn't it that's his and hers, another yeah. one which is about sort of looking back to his and childhood do you remember the first time exactly like it's in the title whereas this album this is hardcore this comes from is almost all sort of anxieties about the present and the future mm. and just you get the impression that <laughs> Jarvis Cocker in particular maybe went through some shits when he <laughs> got famous <laughs> and really yes. needed to work some things out and like I, I, I yeah I don't think we're going to be able to emphasize anymore how much we like this song I think it's very much one we'd suggest if you know you're at all unfamiliar to just watch the video online the and, video is amazing and, as well, ima- yeah. and then imagine it just in the context of how you, <laughs> what you perceive now music to be or pop music in general though yeah. like if you look at the pop charts we had that week where it was all ed sheeran when he released his new album yeah. or whatever it's like you just don't the way music is sort of listened to and distributed and things now there's no way a song like this will ever no trouble the top 40 again never mind get to number 12 and feature on a major pop compilation <laughs> like it's completely nuts and it's brilliant and wonderful yeah, yeah. and it's probably because there's been a number of occasions when we've got to the end of a disc on now and it's just been on a song that we don't like it's like oh well after all like that it it's a bit of a downer of but this is the opposite this is like everything has been working <laughs> to this moment and somehow this mad brilliant song has snuck onto a pop music compilation which again started off with <laughs> all saints spice girls hansen and things like that where it's just a completely different world of music to this um but... it does strike me as a likelihood of one of the one of the best inclusions for a now album generally just because of how out of sorts it seems mm, with, I, with what you typically it's also associate to do with, with now the mid to late 90s in music and we've we've said because we started off on now one and we were talking about mm. how there's some there's quite a range of different styles and some slightly odd things like will powers or whatever yeah, yeah. but that like will powers is a, a novelty song whereas this is genius mm. work of uh, uh man Madness or whatever you want to call it. Certainly, sort of the mid-90s to the late 90s was a time when you could get some really out there stuff mm. into the charts and into the sort of pop radio circulation, which... I don't know if it's ever really been true of another time, and I don't no, and think, I think it's true now. It's like, I know um, everyone will always have a certain nostalgic bias for a certain coming of age in mm, a period, yeah. but it's, that could be part of the reason why I tend to have such nostalgia for that time, because of that, that I remember when you still had things like the chart show, and mm. although, you know, it would... The whole premise of the show is that you would culminate in the top ten or whatever, yeah. but yet it would also throw things like this and Gorky's and yeah. <laughs> relatively obscure bands in yeah, the mix and the fact that you could do that in a chart show that was shown at a time of day that you imagine it's mainly children and teenagers watching mm, yeah it's quite something and yeah I don't know if there's the equivalent to that now no I guess things are fragmented the still much the top more. 40 on Radio 1 uh, 
there's more splitting up of various yeah. um, well, communities around genres mm, and things. like people get their music through YouTube and through uh, especially user curated playlists. Exactly, yeah. Because yeah. I guess now if somebody was picking like songs from 1998 for a playlist, you wouldn't get stop and uh, <laughs> this is hardcore on the same playlist. No. So if there's anything that uh, aside from this song being brilliant, if there's anything that this song demonstrates for our podcast, it is one of the amazing things about the now albums would be this clash of different styles mm. and mentalities and approaches to pop music but all under this pop umbrella yeah even though i think like this must have left the umbrella inside out and ragged <laughs> because this isn't pop music so, so just imagining like so that people who bought this now for yes yeah, spice girls mm. or whatever and then get <laughs> but, this at the end there must have been at least a handful of them though or, or it's particularly people who have bought it by like relatives for birthdays or whatever which is this is the first exposure to pulp they'd had yeah. and they'd be like what is this <laughs> and like at least a handful of those must have rather than just turning it off before it finished and going oh what's that there's no chorus in this <laughs> must have gone hey this is what music could be yeah i'll have to look into this and you know in within six months say we're listening to hardcore bands or something yeah you do wonder if just (laughs) this song's inclusion on here did inspire people who otherwise hadn't been exposed i I really think as particularly with like the array of these different styles on this disc in particular where you've got the very pop stuff to begin with but then at the end here this little triumvirate of radiohead (laughs) to fervent pulse certainly looking back at now 39 it seems amazing that this song is on here but i'm intensely grateful for it because mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. it's just wonderful to think that a song as mad as this was part of the now purview at the time at least okay so that was the first half of now 39 i think it could well be the strongest first half of any now album that's a strong claim at the very least good ones, at the but. very least it's by some way the strongest first half of an now we've covered so yes, far yes definitely although we haven't done many yet yeah i mean obviously like like i said at the start that i have a particularly strong nostalgia for it which obviously helps yeah, uh, but yeah. i think there is yeah, a great mix the, the of perfect stuff. age for this now that's album, it. But yeah and, it, and it's an insane mix of spice girls and pulp on the same disc <laughs> and yeah that, and that pulp song to finish yes it's wonderful it's incredible for now we will uh, introduce the song we're going to end on yep. david do you want to say which one we've picked yeah so uh we've gone for texas who hmm. uh they seem a very now kind of band to us as they so they seemed a good choice of cover but this is a relatively left field one we think of their <laughs> oeuvre so please enjoy and we will catch you next time for part two of now 39 
Thank you for listening to Is That What I Call Music? If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at davidvand at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at at nowmusicpod.